my wife tells me that uh, a little bit of my sermon today is too philosophical and that it needs to be practical. So I hope that I'll get to practical. That's my goal. Um, but do you mind a little bit of philosophy? Okay. There's a philosophy uh, that says that, that God is immutable. Have you heard that word before? It just means, a wor- the word immutable just means unchanging. It can't be changed. And of course, the Bible does say that God is, that God doesn't change, right? But the, the idea here is a little deeper than that. It suggests that God dwells in, in this, what they call an eternal moment of time. So God can see all time at once, and that his very knowing of that time establishes the fact of that time, right? So in this theory, God, um, he, he predicts, not just predicts, but he actually um, commands or, or, or makes happen every movement of my hand, every word of my, my mouth, every thought that I think, every action that I pursue, it's all predetermined by God. And this is an extreme form of predestination. Most people who would believe in Calvinism would not suggest that this is the reality. But it's, it's a philosophy, and it's interesting to, to contrast that with what we see in the Bible. And, and you know what would happen if this was actually accurate? If, if my prayers were predicted by God and, and predetermined by God, then, then my prayers, God wouldn't be responding to my prayers. And the idea about God being immutable is that God, he cannot be changed by us. But that's not what we see in the Bible. We do see a God who creates time and he sees the beginning all the way to the end. That's definitely something God sees, but he comes down into time and he hangs out with Adam and Eve and with Abraham and with Moses. And you find him leading the Israelites out of Egypt and and through the, the wilderness. And you find Jesus the biggest example of God's coming into our time. He, he doesn't dwell outside of our time. Not that he doesn't dwell, but it's not that he only dwells outside of our time. He, he actually participates in time with us, which means that when I pray, I know that he's listening and he actually cares about the words that I'm saying and the things that are on my heart. And like any loving relationship, it's a two-way interactive thing. He speaks, we respond, we speak, he responds. There's, there's some back and forth. And you think about it, you have evidence of God responding. He comes down to the Tower of Babel and he says, that wasn't my plan. Um, let's, let's change things up a bit. He comes down and he's planning on, on dealing with judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. And he asks Abraham for input. And Abraham says, well, what if there are righteous people? Will you save the, the city? And God actually says, yes, I would. And he goes and sends angels to investigate, right? There's, there's an interaction that's going on here. Moses, when he's, uh, he, it's right after the people have rebelled and God wants to destroy them. Well, that's, that's the plan. He's like, I'm gonna make a nation out of you. And Moses is like, no, 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 that wouldn't work. Think about your, um, the, the reputation that you have among the nations. And God changes his mind. His expressed will of, of reestablishing a new nation through Moses is changed after Moses responds, uh, interacts with God. Now, in Malachi 3.6 and in James 1.17, the Bible says that God doesn't change. But what he's saying isn't that God doesn't interact with us. He's saying that God's character of love and his creative uh, nature will never change. He's always been the God of love, the creator God, and he always will be the God of love, the creator God. 
And, and so while he might interact and respond to us, he is not going to become an evil God. He's not going to change his, his nature, his, um, the, the characteristics that make him God. James 5.16 also tells us, because one of the things that James says early on is that God doesn't change, but then in James 5, we read this, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Why would James tell us to pray if God didn't change and interact with and respond to the things that we're praying? If you keep reading in James 5, he gives a relevant example. He says, Elijah was a human as we are, just like us, as uh, DJ said. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. So there's a tension. We're talking a little bit about this philosophy. Is God responding to us? Yes, absolutely. And yet... Can we see the end from the beginning? No, there's limitations that we have. And so our requests are, are often based on our own um, selfish interests and our, our own um, personal desires. And so in, in this case, Elijah is a good example. He's just like us, but he prays and something powerful happens. Could Elijah bring down rain from heaven? Could he keep it from coming if he wanted to? Could he bring fire down from heaven? Could he raise the dead? No, Elijah can't do any of those things because he's just like us. But there's something about this interaction between God and man. There's a, a give and take, a relationship. And just like when you're negotiating with somebody that you're related to, like your spouse or your brother or sister, um, and, and you want this and they want that, there's, there's kind of a back and forth and you come to something that you're willing to work with together. Well, the same is true for God. He contributes to our prayers, and we contribute to our prayers. And we want to, I want to explore this a little bit. Um, in, a, um, in, the, in the book, Testimonies for the Church, Ellen White says that prayer which comes from an earnest, believing heart is that effectual, fervent prayer that availeth much. But God does not always answer our prayers as we expect, for we may not ask what is for our highest good. But His infinite love and wisdom gives us those things that we most need. See, God, he, he sees the bigger picture and he wants to give us good things. And so he gives us the things that are for our highest good, not just the things that we think would um, be the best for us at the moment. But we, thinking about this idea, my prayers are empowered by God, like Elijah's prayers. Think about what Jesus said to the disciples in John chapter 14, Verses 12 to 14. I seem to be having a little problem with the, the screen, so I'll just read it. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Can you and I do the works of Jesus? Apparently, we can. And greater works than these he will do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. That phrase is really important, in my name. We'll come back to it in a minute. When James speaks about Elijah, he's not just pulling a name out of a hat. You think of the big names in, in Israel. There's Abraham. Who, what's another big name in Israel? Moses. Moses. What's another big name? 
Joshua, okay. Anybody else? David, yeah. See, these are big names, but Elijah is probably, as far as like this, this character that the Israelites would look up to, he's probably one of the greatest. Abraham didn't raise anybody from the dead, but Elijah did. Moses died, but Elijah went to heaven in a flaming, fiery chariot. Elijah comes at a critical time where everybody's following after Baal and, and Ashtoreth and all these uh, gods of, of the Canaanites, but Elijah comes and he turns the hearts of the people back to God. Elijah is a big, a big dude. And when, when Jesus comes, he points to John the Baptist and says, that's Elijah, because the promise was that Elijah would come back. Now, even though he's this big character in, in the Jewish history and he's done all these fantastic things, James is really quick to point out that he, he's just like you and me. He didn't have anything special in himself, that his things, the things that he did, were really God's work, God's power, God doing things through him. So let's look at this story that James might have, have pulled these ideas from. And we'll find it in 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 1 through one through seven. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, depart from here And turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook that I have commanded ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Now notice Elijah's words as he addresses this king in 1 Kings 17, verse 1. As the Lord God, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand. This phrase is is an important one because it connects to, uh, I think, a significant idea about how we interact with God. Elijah declares to this king that he's fully devoted to the Lord of God of Israel. He's not following Baal. He's distinguishing himself from all these prophets that King Ahab has been, been funding and all the worship that he's been um, building up in, in the kingdom for a while. And, he, and then he says that he's doing it in God's name. When, when somebody does something in God's name, uh, think about uh, a government. For instance, the United States has ambassadors, and they have foreign agents, people that work in other governments trying to make uh, deals and negotiate things and figure things out. Those people, they don't have anything special in them. There's nothing different from me than an ambassador of the United States, except the ambassador of the United States goes to a country and acts in the name of the United States. When you act in somebody's name, you wield the authority and the power of that institution or that monarch or whatever it is. And so in this case, he's, uh, the, the Elijah is, is making this statement that he is acting in God's name. And I'll show you what I mean. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 8, he says, uh, the, the Bible says, at that time, the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the Ark of the Covenant and the Lord of the Lord to stand before the Lord to minister to him and to bless in his name to this day. 
Can you see that? The Levites and the priests are there to stand before the Lord. That's what Elijah said, before whom I stand. Some translations say that this is, um, it's kind of like a, a service mindset. They say, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, the God I serve. But it's disconnecting. It's true. It's a service mentality, but it's disconnecting from the, the significance. What's a Levite or a priest doing in God's, in God's sanctuary? They're, they're acting on behalf of God, aren't they? It's kind of that ambassadorship. They, they represent, they stand in the place of God um, in, in that ceremony that represents all the work and all the things that Jesus is doing in the big picture to save mankind. And so Elijah, when he says, before whom I stand, he's saying, I'm part of a bigger picture. God's got a plan here. And I'm acting in his name. I'm standing in his place right now. A couple weeks ago, we talked about Abraham, and we started this series, Walking with God, with a few big ideas. We found out that Abraham, he, when God called Abraham, he changed course. He changed his life and adapted things to follow God and to follow his plan. We also found that, that while it's a good idea to seek God's plan for our life, that, that God's plan for our life is part of a bigger plan that he has for the world. And, and so looking at God's larger plan is important, not just being self-centered in our thinking about what's God's plan for our lives. So when God calls us, we should change our course so that we can follow Him. And, and we shouldn't be selfish in our thinking, self-centered in our thinking about what His plans are. Now from our position reading Elijah's story, we can see some of those same elements. Oh, there's, there's one other thing that we found out with Abraham, and that's that God led Abraham one step at a time. He didn't reveal the whole plan at once. He said, Abraham, go, and Abraham went, and then when he got to the place, he's like, this is the place, and then, you know, one step at a time. So let's look at the, the story of Elijah. You don't find a bunch of details about Elijah's life before, but let's just imagine. This is a guy who loves God, and he loves the nation of Israel, and he's seeing these terrible things happen. Jezebel is terrorizing people. Ahab is building altars and, and temples to false gods. Idolatry is rampant, and all the stuff that goes with it. And so Elijah, he is this, well, as John the Baptist was described, a voice crying out in the wilderness. Elijah is preparing the way for God. And he's crying out and saying, come back to God. Do the right thing. Stop following wicked idolatry. And I, he's doing the best he can. And, and he's got this passion, maybe a growing anger to, uh, against idolatry. And God says, Elijah, I want you to go and give a message. In Prophets and Kings, there's this, this paragraph that's uh, enlightening. It says, In anguish of soul, he besought God to arrest the once favored people in their wicked course, to visit them with judgments, if need be, that they might be led to see in its true light their departure from heaven. He longed to see them brought to repentance before they, they should go to such lengths in evil doing as to provoke the Lord to destroy them utterly. That's a, that's a big deal. He's really interested in their salvation, the big picture plan. Do you think Elijah is focused on, God, what's your will for my moment, for my comfort, for my um, uh, provision so that I can have a place to, to, to live and things to eat? Is that what he's concerned about? 
No, he's concerned about something bigger. God, what's your plan for saving this people? There's a need we have here. Please use me in any way. And so God entrusts Elijah with a message to go to King Ahab. And, and we don't know how he got there. It just, right there at the beginning of 1 Kings 17, he's, he's in Ahab's court and he's saying this thing. There's, no, there's gonna be no rain, no dew, no rain until I say so. How does God speak to us? Would you be confident to walk into Ahab's court and to say that unless you had a direct word from God? Now, just out of curiosity, and you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have had a direct word from God? I'm talking about like the voice of God or an angel standing in front of you saying, do this or do that. Some people have. And some people haven't. And there, there may be an, uh, a feeling that if God doesn't speak to me directly, how do I know his will? Well, there's three ways. Um, three ways to know God's will. The first is the Bible, God's revealed will. And in the Bible, he tells us stories about himself and helps us understand how he relates to the world. And so we can know that, that it's not a good plan for us to have lots and lots and lots of wives or lots and lots and lots of husbands. That would be an alternative there. That, that's not God's plan. God designed a husband and a wife in a loving relationship um, to grow families. That's, that's God's design. And we can see that in God's word. So if we come up with some grand idea to have, you know, three or four wives, then, then that's not God's plan because he told us what his plan was in his revealed word. And it's not just that he says the, the um, commandments or, you know, these different ideas about how the social structure should work, but that as we interact with God's word, the Holy Spirit impresses us and says, that, that idea, that's for you today. Have you ever been reading God's word and felt like God was impressing you and saying, that's my word for you today? There's something important that I want you to do or say or, or um, a, a thought I want you to hold close throughout this day. That's God using his word to reveal his plan and, and his will for your life. And it's for that reason, I think it's important that we spend time regularly in God's word, not just knowing the rules, but, but also interacting as though God is speaking to us through his word on a day-to-day -day basis. But God's spirit also works in, in opening opportunities and bringing people into our lives, new friends or somebody at work that we haven't met before, and, and opportunities start arising when they ask a question. Or um, He may guide also in closing those doors. That job opportunity that you wanted gets shut down. The, um, a person that you interact with and, and, uh, and value may move away. And, and so things change based on what we call providential leading. God's providence makes things possible or keeps things from happening. Now, it's possible for us to see God's providence and not recognize it because our hearts aren't consecrated to him. If we are just doing our own plan and caring less about what God thinks, then how are we going to recognize God's plan? How are we going to recognize his moving when he changes something, closes or opens a door? Unless we're consecrated to God and saying, God, lead me today, then we're going to miss some things. In Steps to Christ, there's this quote that I think is, is relevant, and we'll come back to it one more time, but I want to read it for you. Consecrate yourself to God in the morning. Make this your very first work. Let your prayer be, take me, O Lord, as holy thine. I lay all my plans at thy feet. Use me today in thy service. Abide with me and let all my work be wrought in thee. 
This is a daily matter. Each morning, consecrate yourself to God for that day. Surrender all your plans to Him to be carried out or given up as His providence shall indicate. Thus, day by day, you may be giving your life into the hands of God, and thus your life will be molded more and more after the life of Christ. Day by day, giving your life into God's hands. You can find this quote on the back of your bulletin if you want to take it home with you. You've got, uh, you've got that prayer that you can pray every day. And it, it wouldn't be a bad idea to look at your, your plans and say, all right, God, which ones do you want me to follow through with? Make those possible. Which ones do you not want me to follow through with? Close the doors on those. And let God's providence, God's Holy Spirit lead day by day. There's a, a third way that God speaks to us. He speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us through the leading of his spirit. And he also speaks to us through the impressions of the spirit on our hearts. You know, the, the Bible says that you'll hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. That's what the impression of the Holy Spirit does. Maybe he says, you need to go right now. It's, you know, five in the morning. Wake up right now and get in your truck and go over to see so-and-so, right? I've heard of, of stories of, like this. Or, or he wakes you up in the middle of the night and asks you to pray for somebody, and you find out later that there was something specific happening at that time. God's Spirit speaks to us. But if there's ever a question about whether it's God's Spirit or my Spirit that's talking to me, then I need to go back to God's Word because God will not lead in His providence other than He has um, directed in His Word, and God will not speak to our hearts something that is not in line with His Word. So if there's something that contradicts what God has said before, then we can know that that's just my own thinking. That's just my, my own plans leading me astray. But if, if we're centered on God's word, we spend time in his word, then we can recognize the spirit of God. And Jesus, he says, my sheep, they know my voice. When we spend time with God, he will talk to us and we will know his voice. Let's go back to Second Kings, or First Kings chapter 17, 3 and 4. Elijah comes into the presence of the king and he makes this bold statement. And then God makes this next step clear. He didn't tell him how he would provide for him before, but he says, go to the king. And he he presents this message to the king. And then God says, I've got a plan. Depart from here. Turn eastward. Hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of Jordan. You shall drink of the brook, and I've commanded the ravens to feed you there. I've heard of doing some people doing some crazy things in the name of God, selling all, all kinds of stuff for God, giving money away, buying stuff that, that, that's risky because they felt like God was calling them to moving to some place. My brother-in-law and my sister moved to Africa for a mission that they might not be back for seven to ten years. That's, that's a, a big change. They're, they're taking bold steps for God, crazy things. And, and I think it's important that as we, as we look at these crazy things, we see whether God is the one leading or whether it's our own impulses. How, how do you know if those things are inspired by God or if you just, like the, um, uh, the, the two, the couple in the New Testament that decided that they were going to give their lands to God, basically they wanted to give it for glory. They had selfish motives there. How do we know that, that, God's, or that, that God is leading or that our own impulses are leading? And I think that the... The idea from that quote is the most important thing that we can consider. Is my life, my heart, consecrated to God? If, if my motives are wrong, 
then I can surrender those to God and he can change them and my life can be redirected by him easily. But if I'm not consecrated to God, then my, my motives, they will seem like they're, they're not a bad idea. Even if they are a bad motive, they're gonna be like, oh, that's a good thing for me to do. Let me, let me pursue this, either for my own glory's sake or let me not pursue this because it's too risky or whatever the, the scenario is. Our unconsecrated hearts lead us away from God's, uh, God's plan. So after giving a message to the king, Elijah goes to the brook Cherith. Can you imagine what would have happened if Elijah had not been acting in God's plan? What if he had come to the king in his own idea of what should happen? And he's like, king, I'm not, there's not going to be any rain until I say. Maybe it would have rained afterwards. That wouldn't have been a good thing for Elijah, would it? Or if he came and it did rain afterwards, but he didn't know God's leading, he wasn't paying attention to God, he has his own selfish motives involved, in, and he doesn't end up by the brook Cherith. Either way, it would not have been a good experience for Elijah. It's because Elijah surrenders himself to God that God is able to provide for his needs. And he makes a big, big change in his life. He goes from living in, in Tishbe to living by a, a creek. He goes from having a house, probably, to, to living, um, well, not even in a sleeping bag, maybe with a, an, an animal skin covering him or something like this. A consecrated heart says, okay, God, I don't understand where this is going to be going, but I know that you're calling me to do this, and I'm going to trust you with my future. Elijah trusted God with his future, and God protected him, and he cared for him. When I was a teenager, I participated in a church that did an evangelistic series, and a couple and their two sons were baptized at the end. And the challenge was that he was the owner of a used car lot, and, and he's an honest guy already, but uh, he, he looks at that, and he looks at what God says about honoring the Sabbath and not causing your, your servants to work on the Sabbath, and he says, you know what, I'm going to shut down the, the car lot on Sabbath. But the problem was that the Sabbath was their highest sales day, and he would be taking money out of the pockets of his, of his workers if he were to shut down on that day. So he consulted with them, talked it through, prayed with them, and they decided that they would close on Sabbath and open on Sunday instead. And it's possible that that, that would have been a loss of about a third of his income. That's totally possible. And that does not mean that that would have been against God's plan. Because God's plan doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to make more money, does it? But, but he saw in God's word, he read in the Bible something that he should do, and he said yes to God. It ended up that his business actually grew, and Sunday became more profitable than Sabbath ever was. That doesn't mean that, that the results indicate the providence of God. But uh, in, in another situation, a family, actually it was the same evangelistic series, another family, had three kids, um, and a, a guy and a gal, and they hadn't been married for 10 years. They'd been living together, but they weren't married. And they saw in the Bible this call to a covenant relationship. And so they said yes to God. And the day that they were baptized, they were also married. And it was a lot of fun. They, they, they did not have a perfect relationship. And there had been ups and downs and a period of separation be- before. And, and so this commitment, was a, it was a big deal and a step of faith for them. It was a commitment to pursue a, 
a consistent growth in their relationship and, and to not um, break that apart even though they'd had difficulties in the past. And praise God, he helped them grow in that walk. In a different church, I was working with uh, a guy. He studied the Bible, and, uh, and he started giving things up. And, and one of the things he gave up made his girlfriend give up on him. And so he lost his girlfriend. And then um, another thing he gave up was uh, the, these um, role-playing games. He'd play these card games and, and stuff that were spiritualistic, and he decided that was a bad idea. And he lost six or seven friends that would often play with him. And he's a social guy, so that was a big deal to him. Another time, he, he made a commitment, and he gave up 80% of the music that he'd been listening to because he felt like it was a bad thing. And, and he didn't know what to fill the gap with yet, and so at the moment that he gave up all these things to follow God and he, he changed his life to follow God's plan, it did not feel good. And now he can look back and he can see that God led him. He, was, he, he, turned, um, he, he did some training and he ended up being a Bible worker for several years, went to the, uh, got a, a bachelor's degree in theology, went to the seminary. Now he works full-time for a ministry and he has lots of great godly friends. Uh, he's um, had a girlfriend or two since that time, and, and uh, God, he's trusting God with that part of his life. And he's happy. Above anything else, he's happy. He used to be a depressed kid. Now he's a happy young man. He, he looking today at the changes that he chose to make back when he was following God's plan while we were in this Bible study together, he can say, it was worth it. It was good for me to make those changes. But we don't always see that in the short term. Sometimes we look at the, the change that God is inviting us to, to join Him in His plan, and we say, that's going to be awkward, that's going to be difficult, that's going to hurt. There's going to be loss in that. Elijah could have said the same thing when he went to, to King Ahab. But instead he said, I trust you with my future, God. And I know that, that from my own experience and just trusting in the kind of God that we serve, it does not matter what your life experience ends up being. When we get to heaven, we'll look back and we'll say, God, all those things that we went through, thank you for leading me. I wouldn't do it a different way. Sometimes that's hard to, hard to swallow today. But I trust that that will be true as we follow God into his kingdom. Elijah spent some time by the brook being fed by ravens, and then sometime in this lady's house where the, the oil didn't fail and the, uh, the supply of flour never, um, never went down, the drought was sufficiently long that God was able to point out to all of the Israelites that this fertility God, Baal, that they'd been trusting to provide for their crops was not a God at all. And Elijah was able to, on Mount Carmel, uh, call them to a decision and call them to serve God. If Elijah hadn't changed his plans, Elijah might have been in that drought and not had the provision of God. If Elijah hadn't changed his plans, people probably would have been lost into idolatry and, and never come back. Now, God may have chosen somebody else entirely, and, and it may still have happened that uh, his will was done and, and the people were turned back to God, but some wouldn't have been there if Elijah had said no when God gave him a call. As we look at our lives and our future, it's important for us to recognize this servant attitude of Elijah, this guy who, just like us, 
says yes to God, and as a result, stands in God's name to represent God to this world. It's a position of responsibility because we act in God's name, and it's a position of humility because we act according to God's plans. And our prayers, he responds to absolutely, but he responds in the bigger picture that he sees. In John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. If this is our desire, a consecrated heart saying, I want to follow Jesus, whatever you do, Jesus, I'm going to join you in that. Whatever you're planning, I want that to be my plan. Then God can do great things, and he'll provide for us, and it'll be, it'll be a good life. That's, that's the real good life that God has planned. What has God planned for your future? What might that look like? Is there something, some part of your life that you hold unconsecrated to God, just wanting it to be your way and not his? Or do you make it a point to make your, your business, your finances, your recreation and leisure, leisure, your marriage and your family something that God is able to lead in? Do you surrender that to him regularly? And, and I have one more question. Are you willing to trust him to direct your path? Even if it's one step at a time, you don't see the whole plan, but, but you, you can trust him. Are you willing to trust him with the next step that he's leading you to? I'd just like to finish with that, that quote, the first part of that quote. Consecrate yourself to God in the morning. Make this your very first work. Let your prayer be, take me, O Lord, as holy thine. I lay all my plans at thy feet. Use me today in thy service. Abide in me and let all my work be wrought in thee. I hope this will be the prayer of, of every person here and that, that this would be our prayer as a church body, that God would lead and he would take all our plans and he would either empower them with his mighty power like he did Elijah or close the doors on them so that we can focus on his plan and not our own. Please stand with me as we sing our closing hymn.